are listening to the teaching ministries of Southwest Church, located in the heart of Springboro, Ohio, at 150 Remick Boulevard, beside the Kaufman Family YMCA. Please visit our website at www.southwestchurch.org. This weekend, we're continuing a series on the neighboring life, as we truly desire as a church to be living out practically what it means to love God and love our neighbor. Now, as we shared last week, uh, we want as a church family to be a good neighbor to those who live even around this building. And so this year, as we've had as our practice over the past uh, 20 years, is we're going to be having a special offering that Sunday uh, before Thanksgiving. And this year, the focus of the, this year's special offering, the 2018 special offering, is not to maybe meet a need internally, although a, a small portion of the offering will go toward that. But the bulk of the offering is going to go toward living out uh, our vision statement, which is to bridge the gap to those without Jesus so that no one has to live without hope. So the bulk of the 2018 special offering will go toward providing a state-of-the-art community playground right behind uh, the building here so that we can be a good neighbor to the surrounding neighborhood, that we can be a good neighbor to the YMCA and the families that uh, attend there, and, and that we can just help bridge the gap to those around us. And so we are excited about that, and uh, as we researched that, we found out it's going to be between fifty-five dollars and $60,000 to help install that kind of caliber uh, playground. Uh, we also want to do some improvements of our lobby just to be more welcoming. Of course, the best way we can be more welcoming as a church, in addition to making some improvements, is also for each of us to do our part and to meet someone new each week, and I want to keep that before you. But but want to ask you to join me in praying that we can reach that $75,000 special offering, that offering given above and beyond our weekly offering on that Sunday, November 18th. You'll notice there is that one other sliver, that black sliver, because the, that we figured out that, hey, the lobby, that piece is more internally. So 10% of that will go toward helping uh, furnish the Help Build Hope home uh, that we financed earlier this year. So we want to encourage you to be praying, praying that we can reach that goal and praying that God will put it on your heart of what part you might play in that. So with that said, let's pray and just ask God to, to be blessing that and the preparation for that, but also for our message together. So if you would pray with me. Dear God, thank you that you, uh, you've called us to love you. You've called us to love our neighbors. And Father, we want to do that here at Southwest, just the neighborhood around this building and uh, even our neighbor at the YMCA. So I pray, Father, that you'll bless this upcoming special offering, that we can have the funds given so that, that this, this bridge can be built just to meet needs of children and meet needs of families in the area. And so we pray for your blessing on that. We pray, Father, you prepare us for that special offering and how we can all play a part. And I pray now that you'll bless us as we open up your word and read from it. And I pray, Father, that you'll just work through me and allow the things that I've prepared and the things on my heart to come through in such a way that you'll speak into the lives of every person here. That's my prayer, Lord. And I just ask that you uh, 
You just really show yourself uh, in the answer of that prayer. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We'll go ahead at this time and dismiss our sixth through eighth graders as we have a class for you in the student wing. You can be making your way there. Well, during this series on neighboring and, and loving our neighbor, we've We've specifically developing four rhyming words. We introduced those last week, the word stay, the word pray, the word play, and the word say. And last week, we talked about staying connected to our neighbors. We talked about making those connections with them. And we tried to give you just a, a real practical tool to do that. So last week, we had about 200 pumpkins out on the lawn there. And we invited every individual or every family to take a pumpkin with them and try to use that as just as a bridge to show God's love to a neighbor in some practical way. And so it's been encouraging to get some of the reports back about how people have done that. Uh, One person uh, delivered a pumpkin pie to a sad neighbor. They're not sure why they're sad, but they just thought, okay, I'll make a pumpkin pie out of this and deliver that to their neighbor. Another person left here and said, hey, I've got a new neighbor just moved in, and they took a pumpkin next door and uh, starting to develop a new friendship with that new neighbor. Uh, one uh, person here at Southwest, Larry Adams' wife, Amy, uh, put her youngest son, uh, Tyler in a wagon with a pumpkin and delivered it to a neighbor that had just been released from the hospital. And she said the neighbor loved it. I'm not sure which the neighbor loved more, the pumpkin or the smiling face of Tyler. But either way, it just a, uh, was just a tool to get her to, uh, to go and say hi to a neighbor and love her. And I finally, I, I, oh, one other family invited uh, a next door neighbor over and they carved pumpkins and made jack-o'-lanterns. And I thought that was cool. And then finally, I was, I was encouraged, Jennifer Harbour, uh, she was trying to think of a way to just really go for it. And so she stopped by the building, picked up the pumpkins, a lot of pumpkins that were left, and just put a table in her front yard and put a sign, free pumpkins, and just sat out there as people started coming by and uh, picking up pumpkins so, so she could get to know her neighbors in a deeper way. And if you're like me, maybe you had a tough week, I've, I've been sick. And so I didn't get to deliver my pumpkin. You know, there's certain things you don't want to share with a neighbor. And I thought being sick, I didn't want to share that with a neighbor. Uh, But I'm still trying to think of how I can use my pumpkin, maybe even just decorating it in a cool way and and being out in in the driveway, passing out candy Wednesday and trying to have a presence in my neighborhood. Uh, But think about how you can love your neighbor. Now, Last week, we talked about the importance of staying connected. Today, we're going to talk about praying for our neighbors. Now, here at Southwest, we emphasize the importance of praying and learning from Scripture. Today, we're going to combine those. We're going to learn from Scripture about the importance of praying. Now, most of the topics through this series, including the the command to love God and love our neighbor, come from the New Testament portion of the Bible. That's the part of the Bible that was written about Jesus and, and, and Jesus' teaching. And, and, but today, we're going to go back to the Old Testament, the part of the Bible written before Jesus came to earth, and learn a very important lesson, I believe, on the subject of prayer. Now, with that said, uh, our opening passage is actually from the New Testament. This is a passage that our small groups are going to develop and, and dig into a little bit. 
as we tackle the subject of prayer in our small groups this week, and it's not too late to sign up for a small group, but uh, as we introduce this character focus from the Old Testament, introduce the character of Elijah, we find out that he is the praying prophet. So Elijah, we're told about him uh, in Scripture, but also not only in the Old Testament, the New Testament, John the Baptist is compared to Elijah. Jesus is even compared to Elijah. And in fact, James, the half-brother of Jesus that wrote a letter, he talks about how that Elijah is our example of prayer. So let's read this verse as a launch pad to go back and look at his story written previously in the Old Testament. But in James 5, 17, Elijah was a human being like us, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth yielded its harvest. Well, yesterday, last couple days, you know, I thought maybe we needed an Elijah to pray it would stop raining, but uh, it, it finally, at least for now, has stopped raining. But let's find out, why did Elijah pray that it wouldn't rain for three and a half years? That seems kind of like a weird thing to pray about. Well, let's see if we can dig into the story and find out why that was the case. So if you have your Bibles, go back to 1 Kings 17, or you can following the Bible app or the message insert. But in 1 Kings 17, we're introduced to this fascinating character, Elijah. In verse 1, now Elijah, who was from Tishba in Gilead, told King Ahab, now we'll talk a little bit more about him in a minute, as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, the God I serve, there will be no dew or rain during the next few years until I give the word. Now, to understand why the Lord put this message on Elijah's heart to deliver to King Ahab, we need to understand a little bit more about the background of what's happening and why that was important. So we're going to go back a chapter earlier in chapter 17. And by the way, if you're, if you're a person that likes to kind of get your bearings of when this is happening in time, this is about 850, 875 years before Jesus walked the earth, okay? That's kind of the time period that we're talking about. And King Ahab, we're introduced to in 1 Kings uh, 16, and he represents our first observation today, if you're taking notes, that sometimes in life, as we talk about the importance of loving our neighbor, sometimes we're going to have that difficult neighbor. If we think about Elijah's world, he had a difficult neighbor. It was Ahab, okay? So let's read about how difficult he was in 1 Kings 16, verse 30. Ahab, son of Omri, did what was evil in the Lord's sight, even more than any of the kings before him. Now, if that wasn't enough, he married Jezebel, and we're going to find out she was very evil, and he began to bow down in worship of Baal. Now, in Israel's long history, there were many kings. Some were good kings who sought God and really sought to meet the needs of the people in the kingdom. But then there were some evil kings that turned away from God. And in fact, Ahab, if you're making a list of evil kings, Ahab would be at the top of the list, okay? 
He, he turned away from God. Not only did he turn away from God, he started praying and worshiping a false god, the god named Baal. Now, I think that's important for us to realize, to understand this story and the power of prayer that comes out in the midst of the story. But first of all, let's just pause for a moment and just recognize that that we are called into our world. Jesus says, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then love your neighbor. Now, that's easy when you have a neighbor that's lovable and lovely. But it's tougher when you've got that neighbor that's difficult to love. And I've had both types of neighbors. Have you? In fact, I thought about asking you to raise your hand if you have a difficult neighbor right now, but because some of the people in the crowd are my neighbors, I'm a little nervous. Because I'm afraid if they raise their hand, they might be thinking of me, and I hope that's not the case. But you know, this, this loving your neighbor, it, 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 the rubber meets the road when you got that neighbor that's difficult to love. I mean, it's, it's, it's easy to love people that are nice to you. And I won't go into a story, but, but I've had some neighbors in, in my time that I just found it difficult to love them. And that's why I think we can take our cues from Ahab. And maybe right now you're thinking of a neighbor in your life. Maybe it's your neighbor in your neighborhood. Maybe it's a neighbor at work. Maybe it's a neighbor at school. And you're just finding it difficult to even be around them. Even in fact, when their name comes to your mind, you, maybe your skin crawls a little bit or, or the, the hairs on the back of your neck stand up because there's just, oh, there's just been some tension. Well, there was some tension between Elijah and Ahab. Now, to help understand this tension, you have to understand that Ahab married a woman from another country, from Phoenicia, and she believed in Phoenicia's God, the God named Baal. And then as she and and Ahab were married, she influenced Ahab. And so here the king of Israel is not worshiping the God of Israel. Instead, he begins to bow down to Baal. Now, Baal was a Phoenician false god who was known as a storm god, as the god that the Phoenicians believed brought rain into their world so that their crops would grow. Now, are you starting to get the sense of maybe why God's going to call Elijah to tell King Ahab there's going to be a drought? Because Ahab has started praying to the God of the storm, the God who brings rain, and really was a false God. And God says, okay, I need to get Ahab's attention that, that the God of Israel, the Lord God, the one that we worship in Jesus Christ, he is not one of many gods, but he is the one and only God. Now, in the midst of this this challenge, we're going to find that Israel goes through a difficult time caused by this difficult king. And yet, even in the midst of that, the Lord's compassion for his people shines through. In 1 Kings 17, verse 2, this says, Then the Lord said to Elijah, Go to the east and hide by Kareth Brook, near where it enters the Jordan River. 
drink from the brook and eat what the ravens bring you, for I have commanded them to bring you food. Skipping down a little bit more. But after a while, the brook dried up, for there was no rainfall anywhere in the land. Now, I find even in the midst of this difficulty of this drought and where food and water is becoming scarce, God's compassion, God's grace shines through and he provides for Elijah, but he also provides for Elijah, for the people that Elijah loves as his neighbor, okay? Now, in this story, Elijah, I think it's really neat that God used ravens to bring food to Elijah. These were not Baltimore ravens, they were Phoenician ravens, okay? Because he was in the land of Phoenicia. But, but he's living in this foreign land and God is providing for him. Now, as we read this story that took place 3,000 years ago, it's important for us to make some identification to it and to remember that human nature really hasn't changed that much. You see, because we can read this and read about these people that are turning to these, these gods of Canaanite mythology and we think, man, what's wrong with them? Why didn't they keep their heart and mind focused on the God of Israel? But you see, in our world, we might not bow down to Canaanite gods, but we still might have some false gods in our life that we have started to depend upon. Maybe it's the God of popularity and that we measure our life by how popular we are or how successful we are. Maybe it's the God of success or maybe it's the God of career or the God of money, and we're measuring how well life is going based on that false God in our life. Or maybe for some, it's the God of pleasure. You see, we can have false gods too. We just don't call them that. But it's what we look to to find meaning, or it's what we look to to find strength, or, or to get us through a rough time. And sometimes in the midst of those challenges, God tries to get our attention to recognize that we need to look to Him, the one and only God. And see, when, when we get to that point that we realize, okay, all this other false stuff, it's letting me down. That's oftentimes where we see our need to go and turn to God and pray to Him, realizing He's the only one that can really intervene and whatever might be going on in our life at the time. Now, this, this is what I think is so important about prayer. We're going to touch on this again. But, but what we'll find in this story is that as Elijah starts to pray, initially things don't get better, but they even get worse. And see, that's why sometimes when we start praying about something, it doesn't start just fixing itself all of a sudden, but maybe we even enter into a season where it, it seems more challenging. And we're like, well, wait a minute, I prayed and it's not gotten better all of a sudden. Well, maybe God's taking you through a journey that he's going to get your attention and draw you to him as he really longs to do. You know, Eugene Peterson, the guy that wrote the Message Bible, we actually quoted him last week. He passed away this past week. And then once I found out that he passed away and I'd been influenced by some of his writing, I went online and researched and tried to find some of the quotes that he'd written about different things. And let me share with you a couple quotes he wrote about prayer. This is what he wrote. Praying puts us at risk 
of getting involved in God's conditions. Be slow to pray. Praying most often doesn't get us what we want, but what God wants. Something quite at variance with what we conceive to be in our best interests. The next time you pray about something and then there's a challenge or something comes into your life and you think, well, that's not how I thought God was going to answer it. Maybe God is not giving you what you asked for, but maybe what's better for you. And maybe he's going to use that even challenge to draw you to him in a closer, tighter way. Well, Elijah's invited into the story of Ahab, and he begins to pray for there not to be rain, but yet that turns Elijah's life upside down as well. And I think in the midst of it, the Lord's not only getting King Ahab's attention with the drought, but the Lord's breaking through in Elijah's life as well. And not only that, but but God's maybe heightening the sensitivity of Elijah that there are some other people around him that are hurting. And that's our next point. Not only do we have difficult neighbors, we have hurting neighbors. And let's read about that in 1 Kings 17, beginning in verse 8. Then the Lord said to Elijah, go and live in the village of Zarephath near the city of Sidon. I have instructed a widow there to feed you. Skipping down a little bit more, as he arrived at the gates of the village, he saw a widow gathering sticks, and he asked her, would you please bring me a little water in a cup? And when she's going to get it, he called her, bring, bring me a bite of bread too. But she said, I swear by the Lord your God that I don't have a single piece of bread in the house. And I only have a handful of flour left in the jar and a little cooking oil on the bottom of the jug. I was just gathering a few sticks to cook this last meal, and then my son and I will die. You see, what starts out as a simple conversation where Elijah says, will you give me a cup of water, ends up, he finds out that this woman and her son are suffering. This woman and her son are hurting. They're down to their last meal. You see, Maybe it starts by just delivering a pumpkin to a neighbor we've never met. And we just stay connected with them and we start building a friendship and then we start finding out that maybe there's some hurts and challenges in that neighbor's life. That's where we're invited to be a part of what God wants to do in their life and start praying for them. Now, here's the truth. Some of us maybe subconsciously even try to keep our neighbors at arm's length because maybe we're going through some challenges. We think, well, you know, I've, I've got my own hurts. I've got my own hangups. I've got my own problems, uh, wounds that need to be healed. But maybe, just maybe, if we're willing to break down some of those barriers and start getting connected with some of the neighbors at home and at work and at school, maybe, maybe we'll begin to find out they've got some hurts that we can help with. And maybe in the midst of it, as we try to help their hurts, maybe God will do a work in us as well. I see that's what happens in Elijah. And in the midst of it, we're going to see that Elijah is really authentic. And that's our third observation. He's an authentic neighbor. He's called into the struggle. He himself struggles in the midst of this journey. 
We're not called to be a superhero neighbor who comes in and, and tries to be the savior of our neighborhood. Instead, we're just called to be real, be authentic, and love those around us. In fact, I found this video of someone that really learned the importance of just being an authentic neighbor. In fact, I re- they wrote a book that I find the title intriguing, Love Your Neighbor Without Being Weird. I like that. So listen to what she had to say. You see, just as that lady shared, as we really begin to be present, not only will God work through us and through our prayers for our neighbors to bring hope into their life, God will also be at work in our life in the process and speak into our life as well. And we see that with Elijah. As we keep reading in verse 13, and I, I honestly, I always found this kind of fascinating and kind of interesting, uh, weird uh, that Elijah would say what he says next. But let's see if we can unravel it a little bit. In verse 13, but Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. See, she just told him, I'm going to prepare my last meal and die. Don't be afraid. Go ahead and do just what you've said, but make a little bread for me first. Now, at first, I thought that seemed kind of selfish. Then use what's left to prepare a meal for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. There will always be flour and olive oil left in your containers until the time when the Lord sends rain and the crops grow again. So she did as Elijah said, and she and Elijah and her family continued to eat for many days. There was always enough flour and olive oil left in the containers, just as the Lord had promised through Elijah. You see, I think God breaks through here in this story in a powerful way. And I I think part of it is because Elijah's willing to be real and authentic and enter into her world and say, yes, I don't have it all together. I've got some hunger pains too. Uh, I want to ask you to feed me as well. And and God's going to meet both of our needs. You see, I think that's the beauty of this whole idea of neighboring. I truly believe that God works through life's timing and circumstances to get our attention but also at times he'll work through us to get the attention of others. God had worked through Elijah to help this widow see that God would provide for her. Yet as her faith begins to grow, then we find even more challenges, more hurts. Let's keep reading in verse 17. Sometime later, the woman's son became sick. He, he grew worse and worse, and, and finally he died. Then she said to Elijah, oh man of God, what have you done to me? Have you come here to point out my sins and kill my son? Wow. I mean, things were looking better and now things have made a bad turn. Elijah, did you just come to to test me or torment me? And in the midst of the woman's pleading, Elijah does the only thing that, that would be right to do at this point. He prays. He prays, and he prays for this woman, and he prays with a a sense of desperation. And to share another quote from Eugene Peterson, he says, prayer is the discipline refusal to act before God acts. How often in life do we run ahead of what maybe God wants to do in our life without ever consulting him? 
without ever praying about it. How many times do we run ahead, even in things like neighboring initiatives? Okay, I'm going to love my neighbor, but we try to do it on our own strength, and, and it falls short, and we don't first go to God. That point was driven home to me powerfully this week. You see, for, for months, we had planned to bring in some outside consultants at the end of October and have them uh, give us some input on where we're at and living at our vision statement and how we can get some traction on that and practically live that out in, in, in really meaningful ways. And, and, and we'd been planning for this and, and they'd been sending us questions and we'd been answering them and I was really looking forward to it. And then the week that they're going to come in town, I get sick. And I'm like bummed out, you know. Last Sunday, I lost my voice after preaching and, and ended up being at, at home for a couple days, went to the doctor on Wednesday, got some antibiotics. So good news, I can shake your hand. I'm on day five of the z So I think I'm good. I'm feeling energetic again. But you know, the truth of it is, even, even Thursday, I'm like, man. Why did this have to happen the week of this leadership? And so, you know what? I, I put out prayer requests. I started praying and I started asking others to pray. I prayed, ask our prayer team, even put it on social media. And you know what? On Friday and Saturday, I had energy and strength I hadn't had for two weeks. And we had, I mean, God showed up in a great way. We had a wonderful time. They gave us all kinds of practical suggestions. We've got some initiatives that we're excited about. And in fact, we, we're, we're, we're charged up. We're, we're, we're renewed in our vision that we want to bridge the gap to the people in this community and surrounding areas so that we can reach 400 more people for Christ. But you know, I'm so glad God got my attention through my sickness. I'm not saying God caused it, but in the midst of it, I recognize I can't run ahead of my own strength. I've got to rely upon God. Prayer is that disciplined refusal to act before God acts. As we talk about loving our neighbor, you know, we wanted to make sure this week we talked about the importance of prayer. And I love the faith response. Here, here her woman, her, this woman's son has died, and I love the faith response of Elijah as we keep reading in verse 19. But Elijah replied, give me your son. And he took the child's body from her arms, carried him up the stairs to the room where he was staying, and laid the body on his bed. Then Elijah cried out to the Lord, O oh Lord my God, why have you brought tragedy to this widow who's opened her home to me, causing her son to die? Oh, Lord, my God, please let this child's life return to him. The Lord heard Elijah's prayer, and the life of the child returned, and he revived. Then Elijah brought him down from the upper room and gave him to his mother. Look, he said, your son is alive. Then the woman told Elijah, now I know for sure that you're the man of God, and that the Lord truly speaks through you. In this moving scene of Elijah, I mean, it's very Jesus-like, right? I mean, there's a story in Jesus where he does this very similar thing. And, and, and Elijah, he, he feels desperate. He feels bad that this woman that's been providing food and drink for him, now her son's died, and, and, and he cries out. And, and we don't have a formula to follow in our prayer life. We don't have three steps of how to pray, but we see what drove Elijah to be this prayer warrior is he felt desperate. And in his desperation, he just 
cries out to God and says, God, this, this woman's son can't be dead. You've got to intervene. And you've got to do something I've never seen before. And in the very first week of the neighboring life in our small groups, there was a quote in the, in the study guide that I thought was great. Maybe you missed it. It's from W.S. Boyd. It says, prayer is weakness leaning on omnipotence. Sometimes when we wrestle with things in our life and we come to grips with how weak we are as humans, now we're ready to pray. Now we're ready to turn to the God, the only true God, the God that we know in Jesus, and say, God, in desperation, I come to you and I ask you to work. Maybe there's a hang-up, a hurt, a habit in your life that you've, you've tried human strength to overcome it. You've tried human energy and human ideas, and you've fallen flat time after time after time. Maybe it's time for you to, in desperation, turn to the one who can bring hope. Maybe there's a neighbor you have that is really hurting. Maybe it's at school. Maybe it's at work. Maybe it's in your neighborhood. And you don't even know what to say. That's where we have to start with pray. Pray that God will intervene. God will work through you. Maybe God will throw you into the mess. But in the midst of all that, then God can work in a powerful, powerful way. Before we close out and have a time of communion, I want to share with you, we won't have time to read it, but if you you read in chapter 18, there's this ultimate showdown between this false god, Baal, and the god of Israel. And and the Baal god, this, this Canaanite god, he doesn't provide rain. He doesn't provide God's any intervention to the people's problems. But the God of Israel intervenes powerfully. You have to read it. It's chapter 18. It's a great read. But you know, in that victory, God shows once and for all that Baal's not the God of the rain. The God of Israel is the God who controls everything. But there's another, there's an interesting, another Canaanite God in this story. It, it's, it's, it's a God named Moat. I didn't even know about this this mytho- mythology, uh, mythological God, uh, uh, until I dug into this story. But Moat is the God of death. And in that Canaanite world, every year the, the Baal would be defeated when, when things dried up by Moat. And in one story, God, through Elijah, shows, lay down your false gods, And worship the God who overcomes drought and the God who can overcome death. Isn't it good to know that we follow a Savior who overcame death? It's the same God. It's the same God that Israel, Elijah prayed to. It's the same God. And you see, it's so important that we realize he's the one that holds the answer. He's the one that will bring and birth hope into our lives and the lives of our neighbors. And so the question is, are we going to turn to him? So during this time of communion, I want to urge you, be honest with yourself if you've got some false gods in your life. 
and lay them down during this time of communion and look to the one true God, the God that overcame death in Elijah's story and overcame death in Jesus' story. Allow yourself to have the hope and that sense of confidence that because Jesus overcame, you too can live a victorious, overcoming life. Let's pray together. Dear God, we thank you for these stories, these rich stories of faith, and how people like Elijah just had a raw faith in you. Help us during this time of communion to lay down our false gods, to refocus our eyes and our hearts on Jesus, our Savior, your Son. Help us to realize not only do we remember his death in communion, but we remember that he overcame death. Help that give birth to hope in our life during this time of communion. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.